for all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Hello and welcome to the fifth podcast, uh, the Jack and Ollie Show, with me, Ollie. And me, Jack Denton. Uh, so today we are with Claire England, uh, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at J- JLL. Uh, hi, Claire. Hi, you two. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for coming. Welcome on board. Um, so today we have a very interesting topic today, uh, the ethnic pay gap. Um, so we've got plenty to talk through uh, from that perspective in terms of where we see it going, what's going on with it. Um, so but firstly, Claire, do you want to just give a brief intro in terms of who you are, uh, what, how got you into what you're doing today? Yeah, of course. Um, so I um, lead on all things diversity and inclusion at a global property consultancy, JLL. Um, in essence, what that means is I'm helping the business to... Uh, improve how diverse they are. Um, so currently, many of the professions are known to be fairly white and middle class, uh, and businesses have got savvy to the fact that if they look very different commercially, they will benefit from that. So I'm helping the board to come up with a strategy to improve the makeup and to, in essence, hopefully better reflect the client base that they serve. Okay, so broadly speaking, what we're going to talk about today is um, the ethnic pay gap and how that fits into DNI in general. Yeah. And I guess if people aren't aware of that, and I certainly wasn't until um, we started talking about it, but I had heard of the gender pay gap. Mm-hmm. So I guess perhaps this is an extension of that or a development from that. Is that is that the case? Yeah, absolutely right. So the gender pay gap was discussed a number of years as something that might be good to bring into legislation uh, to help businesses to drive better gender diversity and at the same point as that was being discussed and I suppose legislation was trying to be passed to think about how it was best to calculate it rightly other aspects of diversity had been considered at the same time although I guess the government made a decision that it made sense to start somewhere uh, and gender is probably the biggest problem Um, but ethnicity I think then rightly government and business said we're not making progress in relation to ethnicity. So actually, is is reporting on your ethnicity pay gap a good way in which to start to progress and change things? Mm-hmm. So, um, and the way that works is, so currently, with the gender pay gap, uh, organisations of a certain size have to report um, on whether there's a gap between males and females within the yeah. organisation. Mm-hmm. And the proposal is for to do the same thing for ethnicity, Yeah, but they're not doing that yet. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So currently um, there is a government consultation out um, which is encouraging businesses to, well, in essence, give their view as to actually not about whether ethnicity pay gap reporting should come in, but actually how it should come in and when it should come in. And some of the key questions that as businesses we're being asked to address are, uh, should you just look at white versus Mm non-white and the pay gap between those two groups or indeed should you try and identify differentials between your white population and then different ethnic groups so for example white versus asian white versus black and indeed the pay differential potentially between 
ethnic groups themselves so ethnic minority groups asian versus black for example versus indian versus pakistani mm-hmm. um so those are the decisions that need to be made by government i think it's less about now as i say if it's going to come in but a matter of how it will come in and when okay so people who are listening today they're probably aware that their organisation is now reporting on the on the gender pay yeah. gap and they will at some point have to also report on the the ethnic pay gap and they should maybe think about preparing or or getting used to the fact that that's going to be the case yeah with that yeah without a doubt it it really is just a case of when at the minute kind of the the talk from government is it could be 2020 actually as early so let you know we've only got a year to kind of think about this and businesses to kind of get plans in place um i probably in reality i would think it will be 2021 thinking about the lead time that there was around the gender pay gap reporting and there was a kind of at least a kind of 18 month lead time so i I would suspect more in reality it would be 2021 any smart organization will the principles of reporting are already there and people can businesses can learn from gender pay gap Mm -hmm. so any sensible business i suppose has the opportunity to uh, get ahead of the curve um, and actually think about gathering their diversity data and ethnic data if they're not doing that to put them in good shape to then be able to report. Yes, yeah, so I, th- I think this is a, there was a stat we read um, in our prep that said something like 36% of UK employers currently record uh, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So only one in three. So that means two in three then aren't doing that. So how yeah. do they go about doing that practically? Yeah. Um, so, in theory, gathering your mm-hmm. diversity data should be really simple. Sure, theory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know we've chatted about the theory behind it. Um, in theory, yeah, as I say, it should be really simple. Um, but what's wrapped up in that is sometimes system uh, difficulties. So whether your HR system can even capture all of the diversity data under legislation, it's classed as sensitive data. So right. where it sits is quite important mm-hmm. um, around anonymity, etc. And, and fundamentally, let's not forget or let's realise that people are nervous about giving really yeah. personal information. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do as a business is is provide people with comfort as to why you're asking about that data, because people may be worried that we're going to use that for mischievous reasons. Um, So you need to give comfort um, and be really clear to encourage people to want to disclose that information. Well, let's go on that then. So why are we collecting that data then? Why why is that going to be so important to, to declare? Yeah, I mean, for for me in my role, it's absolutely fundamental. If we say we want to be a diverse business without knowing the makeup of our business for, mm-hmm. on a, in relation to any diversity characteristics, we don't know whether we're doing well or not. So those numbers are critical to understanding what our business looks like, bearing in mind you haven't just got visible diversity characteristics. Yeah. So right. that's, re- that's where collection of the data is really important. And actually, even when it comes to ethnicity, we might look at somebody and think they're an ethnic group, but actually it's their choice as to how they wish to identify themselves. So you can't make assumptions about what groups people are in without asking them the question Um, and then if we capture our data at a point in time we can then look in 6 12 18 months time and see whether the proportions of diversity characteristics have shifted and if they haven't then you arguably we're not making any progress 
part of this as well what you were saying about the comfort thing you know explaining to employees why they should do that that's a wider thing generally with diversity right people yeah don't like to talk about it or they're afraid to talk about it because they don't want language to use yeah. and is that do you think that's a big issue that dni faces yeah a, a huge issue um in the sense that yeah there i think you've we've now gone through uh, well, I think we're in a world of just heightened awareness about the whole diversity and inclusion agenda and there's fear of offending and fear mm. of getting it wrong and yeah. whether that's quite often there's a movement in the gender space around, you know, women being called girls and people, women taking offence at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in the ethnicity space, it's so sensitive um, yeah. around terminology and I think if we look at how terminology has changed over time Mm -hmm. and the term coloured and and that in theory no longer being acceptable um but obviously was you know what probably our parents would have or our grandparents would have used and wouldn't have thought twice about it but actually you're seeing uh, ethnic minorities using the term which also starts to really confuse things because there's a permission piece are white people able to use a term that ethnic minorities are using Mm -hmm. um and they're definitely i think now actually probably because of partly because of employment legislation and and actually this kind of power to the employee to raise a grievance people don't say anything and actually that quite often stifles the conversation what do you think um, companies could be doing to open that conversation up to make it more natural more normal to talk about to talk about it literally just to bring it up as a topic yeah i mean i i'd just literally uh start a conversation so hold any kind of internal event where ethnicity and race is discussed so people understand the differences between race uh, actually and ethnicity even mm-hmm. so people quite often confuse the two right um, and we could we go through that i don't yeah sure i could define yeah. that yeah on. so race we're talking about um in essence the your f- physiological of physiological uh, <laughs> easy for you to say yeah. yeah i'm not saying that again uh characteristics yeah. so you know then genetically which ethnic group or which sorry ge- genetically i suppose your skin color and then how i suppose in essence where you identify ethnicity is actually more about the cultural group that you identify right with which can be born out of then religion we've talked about, upbringings, etc. So particularly when you've got people from different parents in terms of ethnic mix, then they culturally may identify as something that is because of how they've been brought up. Culturally, they may identify as a different as a different group compared as compared to, in essence, their skin colour. Sure. So well, they might you, feel mixed. Absolutely uh, right. Uh, 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 yeah, absolutely yeah. right. So you you will see some people that look white feeling that they identify with a different ethnic group because of partly their parentage, the, in essence quite often I suppose the demographic that they were brought up in, even their grandparents having an influence. So that's the difference. Okay, yeah. great. So hold an internal event, start to get those conversations going. External speakers can be really great in that space because if you bring in somebody that's external mm. to get a conversation going, they have got probably a greater level of permission to, to use the terminology without any fear of repercussions. Okay. You know, just a step back, actually, just from all of this, you know, while we're talking about some more of the general things in, in DNIs, it'd be good for us to um, understand 
the benefits of organisations to be more diverse? Why would they like to have an organisation that better <laughs> reflects the society that they work yeah. or live in? Like, there must be some business reasons to do that, and you know, what are the reasons that companies yeah. do do focus on that? Yeah, uh, look, there's a there's a whole raft of business reasons, and I don't. I think it's interesting. I don't know which is more important, and if one is more important than the rest. Um, I think without I think you should start with you know morally surely this is the right thing to do mm-hmm. everybody should be given an equal chance to pursue jobs to progress in organizations you know that we shouldn't why would be why would we adopt unfair processes mm-hmm. so I think there's that it's just the right thing to do that we treat people the same and we treat people fairly yeah although I guess sometimes that gets forgotten about because actually people talk about either the commercial reason for doing this and mm-hmm. there are you know numerous studies out there McKinsey study center of talent and innovation that will say depending on what diversity characteristic you're looking at if you've got diversity it will impact your bottom line so you know hard financial reasons for doing this um but actually there's a strong argument and you've alluded to it where you there's a feeling that particularly where you're a business that's servicing you know kind of society and that broad customer base then how can you really develop a solution and service for a customer Mm -hmm. if you don't represent that customer and you don't look like that customer or act like them or understand where they're coming from yeah and i've certainly seen in the last even if you look at this you know this year you see very different adverts for example from quite a lot of large businesses um where they're trying to they've changed their approach to adverts to better reflect in essence diversity and the customer base Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i think a lot of um Certainly in, in early careers, a lot of companies are really aware of this. Yeah. Uh, and I think the latest ISE survey was something like 96% of uh, employers um, all have diversity as top top of their agenda. Yeah. Um, this will certainly for 2018, definitely 2019. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got quite a lot of uh, interest, certainly in early careers, for people to be more aware of it mm-hmm. and to um, improve it. And. I think what we found is actually a lot of companies um, use their early careers programs as a great way of getting uh, good yeah. diverse talent into into the business. Uh, is that something you've seen at uh, JLL? Yeah, um, undoubtedly. Um, and Jack will know my roots are in graduate recruitment, which is partly why I'm now in a diversity and inclusion role. Mm-hmm. Because naturally, the first place that businesses just look at how they can diversify. The makeup is in that early career space. Um, we've driven hard with one an apprenticeship program and growing an apprenticeship program to a- actively cur- encourage diversity. Okay. But then coupled with that, we um, have uh, probably a couple of key things, but very much widened the uh, target universities, knowing that if you only fish in a small pool, and if it, that small pool is fairly elite, uh, then that will hamper your diversity efforts. So we, in essence, moved from, and I heard yesterday we'd moved from targeting 10 universities to 38. Wow, that's great. Wow, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually then the statistics that have come through is, we now, from a, when we're looking at, you know, this conversation about ethnicity, we've got 
uh, last year it was 42% of our applicants were black, Asian, minority, ethnic, mm -hmm. because we had opened it up to that number of universities. Right. And, and statistically against the UK society stat of 13%. So all of a sudden, we, you know, in essence, we'd quadrupled the number of BAME applications we were getting, That's which fed through to hires. Yeah, that's just from going to different campuses that you yeah, haven't done pure before. pure and simple, yeah. yeah. Well, and and let's probably, just being really clear that we care about diversity and there is a place for anybody from any ethnic group at JLL, which we hadn't thought about saying that before. And that's right. a really simple thing to say, but actually people want to know there's a place for them and want to feel they're going to fit in and they're going to be taken seriously. So we changed our messaging as well yeah. and that helped. So it must have been quite interesting for, obviously, being the type of firm you are and the industry you're in. So how, how do you see that differing for, I guess, different employers in the early career space in different industries? Yeah. How does their, is their challenge different to yours or is... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I previous prior to being at JLL, um, I was in the legal space. Um, I think the law firms have been looking at diversity for longer than the property sector has, so maybe they'd made more progress. But I think you, interestingly, when we I was in the legal space, we definitely had different diversity challenges um, in the sense that we didn't have a problem around the number of men and women that were applying or whatever, boys, girls, mm -hmm. that were applying uh, for jobs. That was a kind of really, actually had more female applicants. Yeah. Um, in property, uh, we struggled to get female applicants because I guess it's, there's, it's synonymous with construction, although we don't right, okay. do that, but there's this kind of perception around male, um, obviously, you know, being a bit more of a male environment. I think when you look at ethnicity, um, there's, I certainly have observed that, unfortunately... In the world I'm in of property and surveying, it's not viewed as as kind of highly regarded career as being a lawyer or indeed being a doctor. So actually that has made it quite difficult when I know having actually worked with a school on their career strategy, um, you within certain kind of cultural groups and certainly kind of the, you know, the Asian community, they're trying to encourage their children to pursue the best jobs and law is seen as a a best job and a good job and unfortunately yeah. surveying isn't and I think where you've got the parent dynamic uh, rightly influencing children then that absolutely has an impact on then who we can attract or who will even consider jobs with us. I think that's a different thing as well for people in early careers right because then you're, you might be looking at your organisation and you might like to be um, more ethnically diverse or you might um, want to have a, a better gender balance yeah. within the organisation and it's not just about um, um, making sure people feel comfortable to, to apply and um, work for the organisation, although an important part of it, but it's also actually maybe reaching to other parts and other people who influence those people for a longer yeah. term, so reaching people younger. So it could be at their schools and colleges, it could be their parents, it could be um, various other things that will affect them and influence them over time. It could be... Um, People they look up to on um, from you know TV and film and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Role models. You, and you're absolutely right on that. Um, the film point and the TV point, where if you you know if you think about anything around legal mm -hmm. dramas and dependent, you know, Suits is still talks about. Appreciate you know my era was Legally Blonde as a film. I appreciate I'm fairly <laughs> old, but actually then you know we joked at JLL somebody needs to make you know a film about surveying and would you know from in terms of attracting a demographic you know. If that was then deemed, you know, whatever, it's the suit style 
surveying world it it would have an influence it for us it's um you're you're absolutely spot on because we'd been running these apprenticeship programs for a period of years and if you look at again you know parents want their kids to do the best um and actually i think you know we're in the early career space and university is still peddled out you know it, it that's de- deemed the best route and i think apprenticeships still do get a bit of a ra- bad reputation you might disagree with me mm-hmm. so actually yeah. we for the first time our emerging talent team this year at the same point as targeting the kids they targeted the parents that uh, as well, and yeah, I think major that's major of young people. Right? Right, yeah, absolutely right. And why wouldn't a kid listen to their parents? Yeah, so we've been kind of trying to educate the parents as well about the career routes that their kids could follow. I think I'll, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about, uh, I guess, I guess access to yeah. um, more diverse audiences, we've focused a lot there on, I guess, the schools. And I think previously said, you know, you've broadened your universities to go to because yep. traditionally you've gone to the more traditional, which might be a little more the red bricks, yep. um, which traditionally aren't as uh, ethnically diverse as uh, other universities. So I think it was, again, in our little research beforehand, um, it was David Lammy came out talking about Oxbridge mm-hmm. as being an area that actually is failing diversity. Yeah. Uh, he used the term social apartheid. Um, because just, yeah. they just don't have uh, the, the, the groups they're looking for. And I think Oxbridge, to be fair to them, are trying to change this. Yeah. But in the here and now, uh, certainly we're seeing uh, more companies sort of maybe using brand ambassadors at different universities. And if mm-hmm. you're saying you're doing more things at a broader range of universities, is this great news for, I guess, the, the more modern universities that they're now going to get a, a swathes of employers thinking, actually, we want to we work more with you? Oh, that's good. yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think it is. I think, I, well, yeah, I think for any of those kind of slightly different universities, I think there's a bigger opportunity for the students at those universities, yeah, to, to definitely to get kind of, I suppose, career careers advice, you know, kind of whatever jobs pushed in front of them. Yeah. There, there is a, and someone has said to me. And I previously worked with um, a senior business leader who said, you know, would always advise kids or university students, if you're diverse, play on that. Because if Mm -hmm. there's this diversity movement now, that is your point of difference that people are looking for. So whatever it is, you know, if you're black, be proud of the fact you're black and talk about that. If you're gay, then talk about that and put that in an application. And obviously that's a hidden characteristic and don't feel fearful of that i certainly think yeah as we you'll know statistically you know the the more you've talked about the more modern universities the ones that aren't you know not sit as part of the russell group they've got a better diversity makeup um and and absolutely those are some of the universities that we're at jll now targeting because of this drive for diversity yeah, we um, it was the the, fact the new awards shortlist released today actually, oh, uh, and <laughs> exciting, uh, very exciting indeed. Um, yeah, ten years of the new awards. Oh wow, ten cool. years! Ten years, um, and in that there was uh, one of the applications for one of the universities. I probably won't name them, um, but they have a large um, female Muslim um, population at the mm-hmm. university, mm-hmm. and they found the use of role models have been so empowering for um, young female Muslims because mm-hmm. I think they see a lot of them going to traditional healthcare yep. uh, roles and what they're really trying to do is, is champion change and bringing in um, 
Muslim role models yep. has been brilliant for them to, to actually come into a situation where you can actually just talk uh, and say, you know, this is the sort of uh, thing you can go into and yep. really, like, really challenging what, I guess, has always happened. I heard um, it was a, also an APPG um, mm-hmm. But then I went to go and listen ah, to it. Yeah. What does APPG mean? All party parliamentary group. Yeah, and they were talking about apprenticeships. So they yeah. discussed what they're going to do with different things. And you can, as a member of the public, you can go and watch, or and then other people sit and they discuss that, and you can listen to them discuss it. Yeah, so, sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> relatively interesting. Yeah, pretty interesting. You can just sign <laughs> up on that the, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. sign up on the internet and they email you, and you just go along. It's free. Anyway. Um, they, were, we, they were there and there was an organisation, um, it was an engineering firm. In engineering, something like 2% of employees are female and they yeah. wanted to get a um, better gender split. And they'd managed to get it to 50-50 on their, all of their early careers intake. From 2%? Wow. Yeah, 2% industry average, they got theirs to 50%. Wow, okay. that's great. It took about 10 years. But they followed a really simple process, which was they would um, often get asked by schools to come and do a visit. Mm-hmm. So they say, okay, great. So we've got um, 20 kids who want to come along. Great. How many, how many girls have you got? Seven. Oh, if you've only got seven girls, you can only bring seven boys. So if you want to, so if you, so you can only bring 14 people, you can't bring all 20. So if you want to bring all 20, you're going to have to convince some more girls to, to come. Mm. And whenever they do a presentation, whenever they do a school event, they always have one male, one female member of staff. Mm-hmm. And that changes the perception. Mm-hmm. And they've got it to 50-50. Mm-hmm. And so it's clear, well, and you could take the exact same principle on, you know, for diversity or for, yeah. like, for any other yeah. any other particular thing yeah. that you, you wanted to push as an organisation, yeah. which you may have a problem with, because not every organisation has the same no. uh, diversity issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have alluded to, you know, the female, whatever, gender balance, you know, even in our graduate or early careers intake is a consideration for us. So, yeah, we, but wasn't in law. I mean, in essence, you can understand why you have to do that, because... To be it, you need to see it. So whether that, you know, if, if it's just so the gender agenda, then, well, there's no place for me because I don't see any women at, women at the top succeeding that have got, you know, children and are managing a career at the same time. So, you know, as human beings, we want to see people like us and we identify more with people like ourselves. So that's where that kind of Muslim role models going into a school is so important to show a range of careers that those Muslim women are undertaking mm. and it's not just healthcare because people if they don't see it they don't think they don't believe they can do it mm-hmm. there is no place for them is what they conclude yeah I think that, that use of a role model or someone you can look up to is obviously amazing because it, it gives you that belief yeah. that, that that could be you um, and was it the Parker review that yeah. you sent around beforehand that yeah. said uh, like the increasing, the, I think, diversity of some of the FTSE 100 companies, they have to have at least one board member yeah. um, by oh, 2021 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from an ethnic background. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you see almost uh, reviews or initiatives like that as a great way of giving people some benchmarks when they're probably unsure of what, you know, what is the right thing to do? It's, so it's, it's forced the right way to do it as well, I'm coming from, or mm-hmm. do you see like it as... Quotas. Yeah, well... Well, that's it makes it easier to understand. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, quotas uh, gets discussed a lot, as, and I think you're probably both aware of that. Um, I'm not a massive fan of quotas. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I, they can be dangerous. Although, that said, if you look at uh, that we were talking about Scandinavian countries briefly earlier, uh, they've gone down that route and it's driven a great deal of change. I think you need something um, 
to aim for and that's where I would be an advocate of targets and I think uh, my understanding obviously of the Parker Review is it's more a target to aim for than a kind of mandated you must achieve this Um, but and targets are really useful because they put the spotlight on um, well the issue yeah and if you you know potentially if businesses publicly state they will work towards something and they don't work towards something then obviously rightly people will criticize them for that so i'm an advocate of targets i'm an advocate of definitely uh government uh trying to drive change businesses committed committing to change i think we need some real practical action and something like one you know, ethnic board member is a real practical action that will undoubtedly change the conversation that will happen around that board table because of the different perspectives that that person from a different ethnic group will bring. So I think conceptually, those kind of core key practical actions are the right thing. But let's just be careful about not tipping between quotas and targets (laughs) and quotas yeah and I think what you find is these initiatives give you something to aim for yeah it it may not mean that that's life forever going forward but it's a a step in the right direction which means you can then evolve from there yeah 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 yeah. and and I think you need I think that's where you know kind of aiming for something and being committing to it publicly as a business you know and then working Mm -hmm. towards it because as a business you don't want to lose face right nobody wants any risk of negative reputational impact of not achieving what we said we're going to achieve Mm -hmm. particularly when it relates to obviously people so I think that's where it's really powerful to uh force a conversation force and I'm going to use your word force but force a conversation to happen (laughs) internally yeah if you then have got something really concrete to aim for then it crystallises people's minds to think how the hell are we going to achieve that Um, and that's where it's useful yeah and I like the fact that in the future because technically you could probably have you know that that mandate tomorrow because you could just put someone in that role tomorrow if that's uh, a legal requirement yeah which obviously is positive discrimination that goes, goes the wrong way so I mean well, personally, I, I see kind of early careers as a great long way of doing that to think, actually, if we're going to try and really increase the diversity of people higher up the business, mm-hmm. you obviously can recruit straight into that, but also you can, can build from, from below and mm-hmm. make sure you're, mm-hmm. you're getting the right talent in so you know it's naturally going to progress that way rather than it having to be a bit more forced. Or is that controversial? Yeah, um, I would in your. I'd love to be in your world, um, and it sounds a really nice place to be. Um, but I'm going to be a bit, a little bit of a, a cynic about yeah. it, um, because certainly in my experience of uh, diversity and having been in that early careers space, particularly, I think it's quite easy for businesses to get a good number of whatever, BAME, you know, black, Asian, minority, ethnic individuals into their early career space. But actually then if you look at any businesses that report their diversity data, those people drop off in droves fairly quickly. Um, And certainly if I look in the legal space, and that's where I've got a track record, and actually the legal sector publicly shared their diversity data. So we could look across the whole of the sector and see the makeup of the profession you saw very good numbers at the bottom and you didn't see them progressing. So, unfortunately, I don't think it's it's a pipeline thing. There are clearly things going on in businesses that are preventing people from whatever black, Asian, minority, ba- ethnic backgrounds progressing. Do you think firms should have better internal conversations? And what I mean by that is 
clearly for different areas. So let's say for early careers, branding and attraction, that that's something that uh, an organization could, um, diversity is an important part of that. Yeah. And then also if lots of people are dropping off, then for, you know, learning and development. Mm-hmm. And so are, do, do organizations have those internal conversations? Mm-hmm. And if they're not, why aren't they having more of those or having it more heavily influenced? Because I know, for example, I know that lots of organizations have, um, separate budgets for diversity and inclusion, which is yeah. separate from their branding and attraction. Yeah. And maybe they should be working more closely with those different parts to be able to use some of the funds that they've got in their budgets to encourage um, a, 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 bigger, a wider mix of people in the, in the organisations. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I yes, I have a budget. Um, and uh, But I, and in, in, interestingly, I see my whole job as... Influencing the whole of the organisation to think about diversity and where they are making decisions that is either helpful or unhelpful to driving diversity within this business. If you look across the whole of the employee life cycle there are things happening at every stage so you know getting people into the door there are things happening around the messages we're giving that means some people think there's a place for them and some people think there isn't in how we assess, review people again we're making decisions that are either unhelpful or not to diversity particularly you know we've chatted earlier about if if as a business you care about a particular personal trait for example being really assertive and salesy Mm -hmm. it will favor certain people over others and so if we're not alive to that that's where those problems are will play out so yes i i mean in essence now in my role I sit as part of HR to mm-hmm. help the whole of HR to un- and then indeed the line managers to understand how they're making decisions and how processes that we've got are either dry- helping diversity or they're not so even something as simple as we talked I think the other day about you know whether name blind CVs yeah yeah and then the same could apply at any promotion rounds couldn't it with any interviews mm-hmm. what information do you give and if you're giving kind of you know education backgrounds and names etc and people are making decisions as part of that un- unintentionally they're ruling out candidates then that's those are things you can change yeah, yeah so i don't i cannot work on my own to change this um it is i've got to you're absolutely right got to influence all of the business and their processes yeah so give us a few examples then um i guess the listeners will be quite interested in hearing maybe certain projects or certain initiatives that you've um, you've run that you feel have made a difference. Yeah, pick a couple that I think are probably more powerful or useful or necessary. I think the first one for any businesses that are kind of early on in this journey, if you haven't done unconscious bias training, um, which unconscious bias is we've got thoughts yeah, about people. I'm glad you explained that. Bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thoughts about people that we don't realise we've got, so which are formed by, inherently, we're lazy, our brains are lazy. So we like to make quick judgments about people, and those judgments are formed by things that we've come across in the past. Um, so if we've had a negative impact, a negative experience with somebody from a certain kind of group, we put them in a box, and next time, when we come across, I don't know, another black individual, for example, and say we've heard about a mugging or somebody in our family's been mugged, we will be... 
unfortunately our minds work in a way that we kind of go oh we're a bit wary of that black person next time round but there's no reason why that mm-hmm. next black person is anything like the previous black person or whatever yeah. it might be so that is really powerful because we don't realise that we're thinking about people in an unfair way actually quite often so I would definitely do that um, I would I think one of the, you coming back to your bit around targets and quotas I would ask or encourage any business to look at the proportion of people they are promoting in uh, through their kind of ranks in their organization and encourage a business to look at the makeup for the next level reflecting the makeup of the previous level so if you've got 15 percent BAME people at associate level and you're promoting them to associate director then you should expect the same split because why the hell would there not be the same split split otherwise you would kind of go well we've recruited some duff people well you probably haven't if you're then the split's not the same there's probably something going on because it because you could that would because you could understand it if an organization um if you were doing it as an organization um, (laughs) (laughs) really good can I mention one other thing though that I would suggest then um, which would be reverse mentoring which is the concept of so normally you have your kind of senior people imparting the words of wisdom don't you on the, your junior staff um, with reverse mentoring you are completely flipping it so the more junior person is the expert in the conversation and the premise of the conversation is a diversity conversation you might not realise this about me and this is how I'm treated at JLL or this has happened and it was good or bad or not and these are my experiences and you're empowering the junior people to to educate the senior leaders on aspects of diversity that they probably don't have an awareness of. So a white middle-class man won't understand the pressures of a woman that's trying to juggle childcare that then if they're consistently asked to stay past five o'clock that that's causing the massive amounts of stress and impinges on their personal life and etc so you're encouraging that junior person and empowering them to have a conversation and actually educate the leaders who won't have thought about aspects of diversity just because they don't come from those groups but to know i have a better understanding i think that's great and Mm. without knowing it was it's been reverse mentoring we've definitely done that at rmp and just learned so much from uh, people coming to the business from different backgrounds because everyone's different and it's really important I think to understand and listen to the people you you have yeah because they're your people and like I say they reflect society so you've obviously got your own experiences based on your own experience but that is very limited Mm -hmm. so I think personally I found it really really useful to kind of open your ears a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and so what do we think that the future might look like so what where might we be in say five years time what might the landscape look like then what what might we see Mm -hmm. i mean the diversity conversation is undoubtedly going to to continue you know the you can't ignore and we've talked about the the business case for doing this we are working in a global economy so there is the need to look diverse as well as it making commercial sense so the com- the conversation's here to stay um the smart businesses will really prioritize this um and, and actually you know i think you're a, there's a real opportunity the businesses that prioritize this will get ahead mm-hmm. i think in terms of real practical you know kind of i suppose practical things that you will see we've talked about the ethnicity pay gap at, you know for a fairly decent length today mm-hmm. that pay gap concept 
is here to stay yeah. and already there are conversations about whether disability pay gap reporting should come in with whether socioeconomic pay gap reporting should come in sexual orientation maybe yeah and um, yeah 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 so that that's here to stay with a view that and I would think you coupled with that you will see probably pressure for businesses and again the government uh, driving greater transparency and that's the power of pay gap reporting it drives greater transparency around this diversity conversation so I could see mandatory diversity data reporting so to report the diversity makeup of your organisation being there mm -hmm. and actually I think the pressure will continue in terms of then uh, I suppose documenting clear action plans and I think young people are demanding this now mm. and so it, that will I think is a really helpful thing for driving change because it's a selling point for the yeah. organisation yeah, yeah. Um, um, young people like want to see brands I guess well, in glass boxes they want to see transparency yeah and I think for them that's that's so powerful um, I think a lot of young people have grown up in, in this diverse world mm -hmm. and like you said earlier like going back to like parents or grandparents they grew up in a completely different world yeah yeah, it's very hyper-connected, uh, global citizen world yeah. today. Mm. Uh, and I think it's, it's it's great that I think so much is changing. Yeah, yeah, um, and I so I think you know as a business, knowing that this is being demanded for a whole from you know from government um, from the youngsters, you know, there, there's a real chance to capitalise on it. Yeah, but for any business that puts it in the too difficult box because of nervousness around conversation or knowing what to do, you've got to tackle this. Yeah. And um, for anyone who's interested in finding out about the ethnic pay gap or keeping up to date with it, yeah, where would be where would be some good places that they should go, or could they do to make sure they do stay informed? Yeah, um, so I've been working really closely um, with um, all the organisers behind the Investing in Ethnicity Matrix, um, which is a benchmark that you can use. It's free of charge, um, which is a benchmark which looks at what businesses should do to improve uh, their, I suppose, their ethnic diversity strategy and how they can put building blocks in place. Associated with that, um, they had set up or had... Uh, have been lobbying government um, and subsequently set up an all-party parliamentary group mm -hmm. that are specifically looking at the ethnicity pay gap reporting. So um, logging on to kind of the uh, Investing in Ethnicity website, um, there's also the option of uh, get, getting involved in that APPG group as a, if you kind mm -hmm. of want to know uh, what's going on and to kind of actually, if you're a business that cares about this, to give your view. Yeah. Um, so I suggest both of those. And we'll put the links to all the things we just mentioned there cool. on the website so people can, can visit those. Fab. Is there anything that um, we haven't asked you that we should have asked you? Just <laughs> <laughs> um, about life, maybe. Just yeah, anything. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing at the was. weekend, you yeah, haven't my, been very pleasant. Weekend, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go there later. Um, <laughs> I. Yeah, probably just the one, there's a slight nuance with ethnicity. When you look at gender, people think about binary male, female. Um, the one thing I think to be aware of in the ethnicity space um, is, or probably two things. One, quite often there's a, it's intertwined with socioeconomic diversity. So people from low socioeconomic, or BAME, black and Asian minority ethnic individuals, BAME individuals are quite often from low socioeconomic groups, which can mean there's a whole heap of other factors that are driving or influencing whether 
businesses can really drive their ethnic diversity strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is to say that you care as a business about ethnic diversity, I think you need to be careful of and mindful of actually looking at what that ethnic diversity in your business really looks like because, again, different ethnic groups are probably likely to be progressing or and or securing jobs in your business at different rates. And certainly at my previous you know place was a law firm, we saw no issues with recruiting the number of Asian individuals into our business, but a real and distinct issue around uh, the re- recruitment or attraction of and recruitment of black individuals. So I think you need to appreciate that within the ethnicity, ethnicity space, there are different challenges that you need to be alive to. Um, and that's where I would encourage any business to use the people that they've got that are from those ethnic groups to help to educate them on some of the nuances. Great, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, well, thank you very much for today, Claire. Um, well, I've been pleasure. Jack. Uh, I've been Ollie. And that's the Jack and Ollie show. <laughs> <laughs> Great finish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed, We'll help you work with Generation Z With all the information that you'll need It's the Jack and Ollie Show